Hey guys, Monet here with a quick note for our listeners. In today's episode, we introduce a giveaway that we're running with the Banner of Truth. If you head over to himpartial.com, you can enter to win a free set of John Newton's works. This is a four-volume set which contains the full contents of the only hymns, the topic of today's episode. This is a limited-time offer, contest ending at midnight, August 15th, 2021. For your chance to win, head over to himpartial.com for further details. Without further ado, here's today's episode. So in Newton's words, he created this hymnal out of, quote, a desire of promoting the faith and comfort of sincere Christians. Later, he adds, quote, it was likewise intended as a monument to perpetuate the remembrance of an intimate and endeared friendship. Welcome back to another episode of Hymn Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funka. And today's episode, we will be talking about the very special friendship of John Newton and William Cooper and how this led them to create one of the most influential hymnals in the English-speaking world. That's right. Today, we're talking about the only hymns. Stick around to hear more. But first, if you're listening on YouTube, hit subscribe, ring the little bell so that you are notified whenever we drop a new episode. We're also available anywhere that you like to listen to your podcasts. And if you want to leave us a five star review, we will love you forever. Um, But to be honest, the best way of all to keep in touch with us is to go to himpartial.com, sign up for our free weekly newsletter. It contains all kinds of fun bonus content that you cannot get anywhere else. So, the only hymns is one of the most influential hymnals of the English-speaking world. The most famous of its published hymns being, of course, Amazing Grace. But this song, as popular as it might be, is just the tip of the iceberg of why this hymnal is so beloved and so important. Um, So, let's dig into the background well, I guess before we dig into the background, Cara, do you have any like experience with this hymnal at all? Um, no, like I know about it because yeah. I know about Olney and we've talked in previous episodes about John Newton's time there and we've mentioned William Cooper mm. and things. Um, and I have friends who are like, him nerds like I don't think of myself as a him nerd <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have friends who are very very into hymns yes um and Olney is one of the ones that comes up a lot so I'm yeah. aware that it exists and yeah. I kind of know who wrote it but I don't really know much more than that yeah yeah very similar it's it's, it's something that kind of gets thrown around like oh mm-hmm. if you know you know but until this episode I didn't so um as you mentioned um, this is uh, the results of a collaborative effort between John Newton and William Cooper. I won't dig into these men individually too much. We've touched on Cooper a, a handful of times on the show. We also have an entire episode with um, Breaking King where we speak about specifically his struggles with depression. And we have another episode, um, two, one and a half episodes on John Newton, one on Amazing Grace and one just on him. Yeah. If you're interested, we will have links in the description. You can go check out those episodes if you haven't already. Definitely worth listening to. We could do 10 episodes on each of these men easily because um, there's enough material out there for them. Uh, But in this particular episode, we'll be focusing on their time in Olney. So 
The story begins with William Cooper, actually. Uh, We know, like I said from our previous episode with Reagan King, that William Cooper um, suffered from severe depression throughout his lifetime. Um, At one point early on, he was institutionalized in a mental hospital. Um, And after his stay there, uh, as he was recovering, Cooper befriended a family in Huntington, Huntingdon. Oh, there's going to be a lot of names I can't say here. Um, And this family was called the Unwins. And he grew so close to this family that he eventually moved in with them Mm -hmm. and was almost like an adopted son. Um, Now, the timeline's a bit fuzzy because I did read multiple sources where this was not very clear, but it was around the time that Morley, the patriarch of the family had suddenly died that the family moved to Olney. And for those who don't know, because again, I didn't Olney is in Buckinghamshire, which is sort of midway between London and Birmingham. So it's down South as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> general england southish yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so it was in olney where cooper was introduced to the curate in charge of olney parish church john newton yay now i look this up i've not come across this phrase before curate in charge it just essentially is like the pastor of the church parish church i know curate's Probably more from Jane Austen novels than actual church history. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I didn't know curate in charge is a thing. I did, I, it's the first time I'd seen it and I've seen it multiple times in reference to John Newton. But description of what he did is basically he was the priest or the pastor or the reverend or whatever you want to call yeah. it for only parish church. So that's where they were introduced. Um, Newton and Cooper became fast friends, both benefiting from each other in different ways. It was said that Newton helped lift Cooper out of his depression multiple times and and on at least one occasion prevented him from ending his life. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had quite a bit in common, despite having very different upbringings, Cooper being from a family of lawyers and Newton being from a more humble background as a son of a sea captain. Um, They both knew Latin and Greek, and they were both evangelical in their understanding of scripture, which was notable at that time. Yeah. And they were also gifted wordsmiths, as we see from the topic of this episode today. Newton being gifted in writing hymns and in preaching, and Cooper being a poet and a hymn writer himself. It was Cooper who helped Newton in his ministry-related duties as well. So this is a way that their friendship was mutual in terms of how they really helped each other during this time. Um, He also helped inspire Newton in terms of writing hymns specifically. When I say they were fast friends, I mean like BFF. They visited each other every single day. They lived practically next door to each other. um, And they were only separated by this bit of a field who was owned by somebody else. I don't know the specifics, but Basically, they paid this person so much a year so that they could use their field. I think it was a guinea. Yes. Which wasn't a ton for a, a year. Yeah. But they just like gave them a guinea every year and they could cut across the field so yeah. they didn't have to go all the way around the houses to see each other. Yes. And it was a well-used path. Let's just yeah. say that. They saw each other every every single day. Um, and during their friendship, um, Cooper... He, I mean, he struggled back and forth with depression, but at one point it got so bad um, that he actually had to move into the house 
with John Newton and his family um, for nearly two years so that he could be taken care of. Um, and, and those close to Newton were quite concerned that he already a busy clergyman mm-hmm. was now burdened with Cooper and his insanity, essentially. Um, and they were encouraging him to send him away. If you read Newton's letters um, and some of the correspondence and some of his journals and things at the time, it's clear that the whole family found it quite difficult having yeah. Cooper in the house. Yeah. But it's interesting because he never complains. It's more kind of like, oh, this is really challenging, but I'm glad yeah. we're doing this. But he's never like, I just wish Newton, not Newton, Cooper would leave. Yeah. And his wife was the same. Like yeah. they, they both found it difficult, but they were really hospitable people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was a labor of love Very much. Uh, because it's one thing just to have a house guest for a long time, but then to have a house guest who is so severely suffering, yeah. you know, in his soul like that, you know, it is, it is a lot. Um, but uh, thankfully, Cooper did eventually recover enough to go back to his own house. <laughs> but this experience basically scarred him. And though he still profess- professed some Christianity, he believed that his insanity at this time disqualified him from participating in the local worship. Um, so suffice it to say, he basically va- vacated his pastoral support that he was giving Newton. Um, and he also stopped attending the, the parish church. Yeah. Um, so for many years, while both remained in Olney, they still saw each other every day. However, it was really kind of only a one-way trip from mm. Newton to Cooper. But clearly, you know, it was a friendship that was highly valued and treasured. Um, though it saw its share of ups and downs. So what did you, did you, you kind of knew some bits of that, that history between the two of them. Yeah. Um, I wasn't aware that Cooper had been helping with the pastoral work. Mm. I did know about the Unwins because I remember reading a biography of John Newton and it'd be mentioned that Mary Unwin in particular, I think was the wife mm-hmm. After her husband died, she took care of Cooper a lot. Mm, yeah. And there were questions mm-hmm. about whether it was appropriate for Cooper and the widowed Mrs. Unwin to be like living together and things because they had this almost codependent relationship yeah. going on. And it was kind of like, there was nothing going on, but it, it didn't exactly look right. Right. Yeah. That's a rabbit trail that we could That's definitely go down. That's a whole other rabbit down. trail. But, but I, I it do. Did sorry, sorry yeah. when when they moved in with Newton, I think that was a little bit of like yeah. things aren't going well, and it doesn't look good that you're living in this situation. Yeah. So we'll take you on for a little while. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, so yeah, they uh, they had a rich history together as friends, and they you know it wasn't some rosy friendship. It was it was a lot of ups and downs, and I think just seeing how much they cared and loved for each other despite all that was it was really nice but we will get to more of that encouragement later so the hymnal that they both collaborated on um took about a decade to complete they started the venture together in 1771 um newton had already written several hymns as this was kind of his practice um in in order to punctuate a point in his sunday sermons basically as he was finishing up his preparations for the sermon that week, he would 
jot down a few verses and then they would sing it that next Sunday, which I think is awesome. I mean, like that is some skill just to be mm-hmm. like, mm, okay, I want to end on second Corinthians five or whatever. And then he just like s- starts writing a, a, you know, a hymn to, or a hymn for it. And they would obviously sing it to any um, tune that fit the meter basically. Um, he was inspired greatly by the likes of Isaac Watts, Bobblehead Watts, as we like to call him, whom he refers to in the preface of this hymnal as Dr. Watts, which I just kind of like. I never really hear that, but I feel like Is it's he, appropriate. Was he a doctor? I like didn't have a doctorate. No, maybe he... He must some, have done... He was super duper smart. I'm I was sure going to say, he spoke like four languages by the time he yeah. was 10 years old. So he probably did have a doctorate. Yeah. If he didn't, he deserved one. <laughs> We're awarding him the honorary impartial <laughs> doctorate post-mortem. I'm sure he had a legit <laughs> he doctorate done, from somewhere. Yeah. Um, but he quote he says in the preface, he says, um, many of Dr. Watts, many of whom whose hymns are admirable patterns in this species of writing. So he thought like he modeled himself after that kind of, uh, that kind of style. Good choice. Yeah, I think so. So the hymnal wasn't, wasn't actually published until 1779. And this was due largely to Cooper taking ill and their work remaining unfinished for a time. Um, the hymnal has 348 hymns. And depending on who you ask, it's estimated that Cooper wrote somewhere between 66 and 68 of them. And all the rest were Newton, which it's it's very impressive to write like hundreds of hymns. But when you think about it, he was kind of just like doing this yeah. every Sunday. He was just like, oh, here's this hymn on, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, yeah, really impression, really impressive. Um, and so the way Newton um, kind of annotated whose was who is for everything that Newton wrote, it was no author attributed to it. And then any um, hymn that Cooper wrote, he just put a little C next to it, (laughs) Uh, which is kind of like a cute little code. So in Newton's words, he created this hymnal out of, quote, a desire of promoting the faith and comfort of sincere Christians. Later, he adds, quote, it was likewise intended as a monument to perpetuate the remembrance of an intimate and endeared friendship. That's really sweet. (laughs) That is sweet. Like, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think it's interesting. Like, I think I read in a biography of Newton that he understood that Cooper was the better poet. Mm -hmm. But I think, to be honest, they balance each other out because mm-hmm. John Newton, wa- he was good. Yeah. He wasn't Cooper, but he was good. So mm-hmm. although Cooper only wrote a select few, um, it was kind of like higher quality, smaller number. Yeah. And then John Newton's was like still high quality, yeah. but like a larger number. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Newton was writing out of necessity almost. Yeah. He was saying, this is a song that is he felt as a pastor was required yeah. for the worship service. If you think about it though, if he wrote like 300 and something hymns, mm-hmm. right? If there's 52 weeks in a year and you're doing two services on a Sunday, <sighs> not including a midweek meeting, yeah. then you've already got like, it'll only take you like three years to write yeah. that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, interestingly, you almost have a hymn for every day in this hymnal so you could just kind of learn a new one every day I was thinking that when you said you're like 340 I was like that's like one a day for a yeah. year <laughs> weekends off or something yeah something a uh, holiday or something I don't know so the hymnal is divided into three books 
Um, the first book is on selected passage of scripture. The second is on occasional subjects. And the third is on the progress and changes of the spiritual life. <laughs> okay. Um, so basically the first book is what it says on the 10 based on specific passages in scripture. And it was organized in order of the books of the old and new Testament. Mm-hmm. This book, book one is where we find the hymnals, most famous hymn, amazing grace. And that hymn is based off of first Chronicles 17, 16 and 17. Uh, but its original title was Faith's Review and Expectation. <laughs> Which if you watched our first ever episode, yes, you'll remember. You'll remember that. Um, the second book on occasional subjects, also what it says on the tem, 10, uh, it has hymns on topics like death and war, the day of judgment, creation, etc., etc. So that's a good book if you're ever, I guess, if you're got a topical series or something on at church mm. or if you want to punctuate something while you're going through a book of the scriptures like to go and see you know if there's like oh wow this this verse that we're talking about on Sunday speaks of fill in the gaps yeah then- I was just thinking I thought I'm pretty sure that Amazing Grace had, had been written as a new year hymn so it's interesting that he's put it in the scripture passages yeah because like, that- it was the first week of the year and he'd been looking back at his life pre-conversion and he's looking at his life now so it's interesting that he put that under um well any good preacher obviously is going to be pulling from what is in scripture and if he chose to do first chronicles 17 on new year's day then that just happened to be i mean it just does fit with that but i was also just thinking that's interesting this is a new year hymn the more you know Uh, The third book is described by Newton as basically being miscellaneous um, and has some of my favorite songs of all time in it. Uh, The third book contains hymns like Light Shining Out of Darkness, better known as God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Mm. um, And that's by Cooper. The other ones on there is Jesus My All, a.k.a. Why Should I Fear the Darkest Hour, a song that I've sung many, many times. Really love it. Um, It also has, I asked the Lord that I might grow written by Newton, though. I think we both had mistakenly remembered this song as being written by Cooper due to its depressing subject matter. (laughs) We were kind of like, we were talking about this before the episode and Monet was like, I think this is written by Newton, not Cooper. And I was like, nah, think about it. Like (laughs) all that. Why did that pursue the worm to death? I was like, that's gotta be Cooper. (laughs) And it wasn't. It's Newton. Maybe it was Cooper's influence on Newton because they were BFFs. Mm. think about it practically the same person oh my goodness um so yeah anyways it's it's really really rich this hymnal and if you've never cracked it open i really i really think you should um it's well worth looking up in fact we're we're having a giveaway if you go to himpartial.com where we're we'll actually be giving away this volume set behind us of which contains... Volume 2 is only hymns. Volume but two. we thought we'd be good and we'd give away the give whole Give away the full set. thing. Details at himpartial.com. We can't tell you on the episode, but we will tell you at himpartial.com. <laughs> so go there and check it out. In the preface, Newton adds, This publication I offer to the service and acceptance of all who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity of every name and every place 
into whose hands it may come. I more particularly dedicate to my dear friends in the parish and neighborhood of Olney, for whose use the hymns were originally composed, and as a testimony of the sincere love I bear them, and a token of my gratitude to the Lord and to them for the comfort and satisfaction with which the discharge of my ministry among them has been attended. So despite this hymnal being sort of a showcase of the talents of Cooper and Newton, the heart of it was really always for the people of Olney. Mm -hmm. And while some of this language might be a bit obscure to the average English speaker in 2021, the language of the time in which it was written was very simple. Um, It was meant for the working class, many of whom weren't super literate, um, but they would have been able to understand and follow along with the themes being expressed in each of these hymns. I think this is really important. Um, we might idolize the works of Christians in the past who, to our ears, speak in a certain manner. But we need to understand the importance of having simple, clear, relatable language in our worship songs yeah. so as to aid the worship of God. I mean, it's true. You see this problem a lot with people. It's the same with the AV as well. People are like, oh, the AV language is just so much better than normal language. And actually, if you read the introduction to the AV, it talks about wanting to have a Bible in what they call the vulgar tongue, which means like like what us normal people speak. Mm-hmm. So you know yeah but you see it as well with like young reformed guys who are Mm. like i'm gonna write books and i'm gonna write and mimic the style of john owen because he was amazing and it was like good luck yeah good luck with that but like (laughs) you know if you're trying to mimic the puritans and things then really you should be writing in clear concise language that people who don't have letters after their name can understand yeah um and that's one of the wonderful things about newton and cooper where they were and Watts as well, mm-hmm. fiercely intelligent men. Yeah. But they could put these deep, profound theological truths into language that normal people could understand. Yeah. And that's a gift. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gift. And it is something that if you are in the church and you have that gift, you should lean heavily on making the Lord um, easy to worship yeah. for anybody. And I mean, like, You know, there are ministries that exist in very deprived areas where people aren't as well educated. I mean, today, right now, 2021, and it's important that you don't roll up and pull out this hard song that nobody understands what the heck you're talking about. Simplifying the language is really, really um, important. And and, um, that leads me to my next point, which is, why is this hymnal so popular? Um, There are a few reasons, and they all have to do with the sovereignty of God. Big surprise there. Um, Because the hymns were written for plain people, that's literally uh, John Newton's words, uh, they were easily shared and beloved, easy to understand and pick up uh, to any tune that suited, really. Mm. Because of this, by 1836, 
over 50 years after it was originally published, there were 37 recorded editions of this hymnal printed both in Britain and America. Um, Also in the 19th century, as we know, hymn singing became more in vogue uh, against the strong resistance of psalm only traditions. So several dozen of the original 348 hymns were featured in other hymnals at this time. And the growing influence of evangelical evangelicalism in the Western world meant that more and more Christians were being influenced by um, deeply rich theological themes in such hymns as Amazing Grace, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, and How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, all hymns whose origins were found here in the only hymns. Um, Also, the way that this hymnal was structured by theme and by topic kind of served as like a blueprint for pretty much every other hymnal afterwards. And it also helps the believer understand the context of each of the songs that they're worshiping. So you're like, oh, this song is about Christ's return. And it's in the section called Christ's return. Okay, that makes sense. You know, you're not just going through picking something at random. It actually has some structure. It helps also to aid um, pastors when they're organizing their service. It sounds like this is a more revolutionary hymn book than... I thought like <laughs> not revolutionary, but like, you know what I mean? It kind of set a precedent and it was like, yeah. we found a way of doing this that's really effective and it's really profitable. Yeah. And then other hymn books were like, oh, that makes sense. Let's mm. do it that way. That's what I mean by revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I can't say for certain that it was the first, but it was definitely one of the more popular hymnals yeah. to do the things that it did. Yeah. You know, so. But it tends to be the popular ones that have the influence, not necessarily yeah. <laughs> the first ones. True, 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 true. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to end this episode by looking at scripture because I think that's the best place to end and begin anything. <laughs> yep. Um, and I wanted us to be encouraged by what a blessing biblical friendship can be. Uh, we saw this in the life of Newton and Cooper, but what does the Bible say about friendship? Um, so Cara and I are just going to read some verses back and forth um, to see what the Bible says. So Cara, why don't you start? Okay, I'm going to start with Proverbs 17, 17, which says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs eighteen twenty four. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. In Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Yeah. And in 1 Samuel 20, talking about... Um, David and Jonathan, Saul's son, Jonathan, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And lastly, Jesus being the ultimate example of friendship, his word says in John 15, 12 to 15, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does 
for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. And I think as you listen to these verses, you'll see how that applies to uh, Cooper and Newton. And hopefully you hear those verses and you think, yeah, I've got that friend in my life too. Um, so thank you so much. I learned a lot about the Olney hymnal. Um, I'm excited to maybe go away and read that. Don't forget, if you would like to win this beautiful banner set of John Newton's works in four volumes, including Olney hymns, go to hymnpartial.com to find out how you can enter the giveaway. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that it's been interesting and informative for you and we'll see you next week. Until then, may the Lord bless and keep you. Bye. Bye.